I've known Pastor Allen for many years now, and uh, I just love his teaching style. I love his unmistakable New Jersey attitude. <laughs> oh, I see you know what I mean by that. <laughs> and most of all, I just love his heart, both for the Lord and for others. You guys are blessed to be able to call him your pastor. So as we turn to the word this morning, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. That's where we're going to park it this morning. And as, we've been tur- as we're turning there, I just wanted to say over the last couple of years, I've really grown to appreciate the autumn season, specifically the early autumn season. And it really is a, a season of new beginnings for so many families, uh, especially younger families like my own. You might have seen my three daughters running around here before service, wreaking havoc out there in the middle. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's such an interesting time of new beginnings, new schedules, new routines. Uh, some people are growing up and going into new schools. I, and in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was able to take my twin daughters to their first day of preschool. I had off that day, I was able to take them in, walk them into their first classroom, and just experience that. I didn't cry, but it was an emotional experience, let's put it that way. It was wonderful. <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm l- really appreciating this autumn season that we're in right now. However, I gotta say, it hasn't always been that way for me. In fact, when I was a, when I was a little boy myself, I hated the early autumn season. And for one reason... Because, and it wasn't even so much the, one, the obvious one when you were younger. It was like, oh, I did, it wasn't necessarily that school was starting again. So much as the summer was over. And this feeling of dread would just come over me when you get that first cool autumn night at the end of, uh, at the end of August, early September. And I, I always, that always struck me because I was the type that always had these big plans of what I was going to do with my summer, all these trips that I would go on, all these things that I would see, and that first cold night always told me, time's up, it's too late, and this feeling of dread would just come over me because I had all these priorities that I would make, but I get wrapped up in all these other good things over the summer, and then suddenly it was too late. Uh, I didn't prioritize the things that mattered most to me that I truly wanted until that time was gone, and it's that uncomfortable feeling of loss and wonder of what could have been that uh, King Solomon is addressing in the book of Ecclesiastes. Except he's not just addressing one summer or one season even, but our lives as a whole. And uh, you see, because many of us have great expectations and desires for what we want to do with this life. We dream of the accomplishments we're going to make, the fulfilling careers we're going to have, the volunteer work we're going to do to help others, the financial giving we're going to do to help others. But inevitably, with so many of us, life happens, and that dream job never comes. The family budget seems too tight to be able to give the way that we want to. The family calendar is too packed with other good things to be able to prioritize the things that we want to. And uh, before we know it, you know, these personal obligations prevent us from pursuing what matters most to us until we have a moment of looking back in shock, wondering where the time went, feeling like we lived life for a different purpose than the one we wanted to. And my desire this morning is to highlight a way of living that leads away from that kind of feeling, a way of living that leads to a feeling of satisfaction and living for a purpose. And in this morning's text, uh, King Solomon is trying to answer that conundrum. 
and he comes to some uncomfortable conclusions along the way. So let's pick it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all the labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose. A wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. To the place where the river come, which the rivers come, there they will return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it could be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Ecclesiastes is one of the most unique books in the Bible. It was written by King Solomon later on in his life as he's reflecting on his younger years and some of his accomplishments and some of his failures. And it reads more like a depressing philosophy textbook than what we would expect from the pages of scripture. <clears throat> However, we have to keep in mind exactly why it was written or we get confused by certain passages like the one he wrote right here. You see, Solomon was examining life, trying to find purpose and meaning in a world without God. That's what Solomon means when he writes the term under the sun. It's a deliberate um, uh, Hebrew, uh, Hebrewism that uh, essentially means a world without God. And you see it all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So what Solomon is doing here in this scripture is he's basically saying, let's set aside what we know about God and about ourselves and about the universe through what the Bible has revealed to us. And let's see what we can find out about ourselves, God, and the universe through our own reason and intellect alone. So how did Solomon's observations go? What did he see in this world without God? Well, as you guys heard it in the text this morning, the, the feeling of futility seems to be the dominant theme in this passage. It's a pretty sad world he's describing. Um, <clears throat> everything that the, uh, the preacher, the teacher examines is regarded as vanity, a vapor, a breath. It's just here and it's gone. Another translation actually renders it that word meaningless, which I think really gets to the heart of what he's trying to say, that everything is meaningless, utterly meaningless in this world without God. And um, he, what I love about what Solomon does in the scripture is that he, he takes from his surroundings and ties it into his point. Solomon was really good at doing this. He did this a lot in the Proverbs, too, as you read them. He's always drawing from nature to illustrate his points. And he's taking from the sun, the stars, the water, the wind, and, and all describing it all is none of this is really moving forward. Everything's monotonous, never changing, never progressing. Uh, repeating endlessly. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to look at this and say, oh, wow, you know, he's, he's describing the solar system beautifully, how everything's on a circuit, you know, 
very predictable, which is amazing that he had that understanding many years ago. But his point is that everything's on a predictable circuit. Nothing's ever progressing or changing or accomplishing much. Same thing with the water cycle, saying that the water, as where the rivers flow, there they will return again to where they started. That's a great observation from thousands of years ago. But his point is that everything's just kind of repeating. Even the wind, constantly in motion, but never arriving at a destination. As it whirls this way, it whirls that way. It's going all over the place. But it never arrives somewhere. And this imagery is being used to reflect our condition as man, living under the sun without God. I mean, you see that when he describes us in verses 3 and 4, where he says, What profit is a man from all of his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. So what does a man gain from all of his labor? Well, he's much like the wind, as he described. You know, it's constantly in motion, but it never arrives anywhere. Uh, people just, so many people in this world just go to work in the morning, Monday morning, so they can come home and pay their bills. So they could wake up the next morning to go to work. So they could pay their bills. And then in verse 4, another generation rises up so that they could go to work and they can pay their bills. It does seem kind of futile when put through that lens, doesn't it? Seemingly monotonous under the sun. And then finally, Solomon hits us kind of hard in verse 11 where we parked it at the end this morning where it says that there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that will come after by those who will come after. And, you know, if we think about that for a moment, that's kind, that's kind of harsh. Uh, think about the number of, the billions of people that are alive today. And then you think about the billions of people who lived all throughout the centuries before us. And then you remember how few names you had to memorize to get through high school history. By comparison, that's a very low number of the people we have to remember. And so much else is lost to history. Uh, I, even in my own family, I can only think back so far before my family tree gets really hazy. It's um, beyond my great-grandfather. It's all pretty much forgotten, even of my own flesh and blood. Solomon's really painting a sad picture of humanity. Aren't you guys all glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> Aren't you just, don't you just feel uh, encouraged by this positive and uplifting message I'm delivering? And, you know, all bad jokes aside, you know, this scripture was actually written to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Solomon's doing this on purpose. It's designed to make us examine what is it that we're living for. Are we living for what we desire to be living for? Or are we just caught in this endless monotonous cycle? And is what we're living for something that matters and has lasting value? Because you know, church, if we are living under the sun without God, if God doesn't exist, it is all monotonous. It will all be forgotten. Which is why, church, we must not look under the sun, but we must look beyond the sun to the one who made the sun, the one who fashioned all the stars in the sky and knows them by name, as we just sung and proclaimed together just a few moments ago. If we, we need to look to him because we get a radically different view of the universe, God and ourselves, when we look to Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. 
And we realize that there is far more to this story than this vapor, this breath, this vanity of a lifetime. Because beyond all of this is eternity. You see, this short life of ours is just the tiniest tip of the absolutely massive iceberg that is eternity with Jesus Christ. That is the heaven and the glory that we have to look forward to. It's not even worth comparing in terms of quality or quantity to what we're going to experience in heaven someday. And that's why Jesus encouraged us not to lay up our treasures on this earth, but rather to lay up our treasures in heaven. And frankly, Solomon would have been the first in line to line up and say, well, that's a good idea because everything, laying up treasures on earth, well, that's meaningless. It's all going to rot and be eaten anyway. But we understand this from an earthly, even from an earthly perspective, the idea of putting things towards what matters. Let's just say two brand new banks open on the main street in town here, right next to each other. And one of them is just awful. It has high interest rate charges. It has high fees on every one of their accounts. You put everything you worked for into this account, and it slowly drains everything away until you have nothing. It's a pretty bad investment, pretty bad choice of what you can make with what you have. And let's just say the other bank is radically different. No charges, no fees, no interest rates, and you get to keep everything that you have, and you get a massive sign-up bonus just for signing on the dotted line. One catch. You can't touch your money today. You have to wait till tomorrow to be able to touch it. Who's even tempted by that first bank right now? Nobody? There's no comparison. One takes everything that you have down to nothing, and the other get, lets you keep everything you put there and gives you something you didn't even deserve. Hello, that's a picture of grace right there. And, uh, and all that, you know, there, there's just no comparison between the two. And considering how short life is compared to the massiveness of eternity, waiting just one day to be able to enjoy those investments that's a pretty fair comparison, if you think about it. If we want to be wise with our financial investments, how much more should we be regarding eternal investments? This is the answer to Solomon's conundrum. This is the answer to the issue he's raising in Ecclesiastes. Living for eternal things, treasures in heaven, rather than the mere treasures on earth. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth nor rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Solomon was saying everything was meaningless because you couldn't keep what you earned for. It was vanity to him. And everything was monotonous. It was never progressing. There, was, there seemingly was no end goal. Everything was just repeating itself. But with an eternal perspective, that's not true. Certainly of eternal things. You see, we have assurance that when we invest in the eternal, we are making an impact that's going to go far beyond this short lifetime. And we know we are making a difference with this life that we're living. And as we lay our treasures in heaven, there our hearts will be also. The more we begin to live this way as a lifestyle, in other words, the less we'll be inclined to focus on the more passing temporal things that don't really matter. And 
there's no real point in even drawing out what those things are. We all know what that is. We all have different, we all experience it differently, but we all know that there are things that we just do that we know are not satisfying. Things that we know are not going to, are more than just occupy our time and they don't go anywhere. They're not making a difference. But by the way, did you notice that it says where your treasure is, your heart will be? Not where your heart is, your treasure will be. That's an important but subtle difference. You see, our treasure doesn't automatically go where we want it to go, just because we want it there. We have to choose to put it there. It goes where our actions will take it. Let's put it this way. I might have a desire to eat a healthy lifestyle or to live a healthy lifestyle as a whole. But if I eat donuts every day for lunch and for dinner, I'm never arriving at that end goal. I, I will never be healthy if, th if that's the, where my choices will take me. But if I choose to live a healthy lifestyle, eventually my heart will catch up to where my actions are taking me. I'll see some of the progress of the, of the goals that I'm reaching towards, and my heart will catch up with it, if you will. And in the same way, just because I'm a Christian and I have a desire for treasures in heaven, it doesn't mean I'm just going to start accumulating them. I have to make that choice to do so with my life. Let's put it this way. I remember back in college, um, twice a week, every week, I would, go, I would meet with a friend of mine, Justin, in uh, the local campus cafeteria, and we would go evangelizing together. And every single time, I just wanted to make up an excuse not to go. Every single time. You see, my desire was for people to hear the gospel, but especially back then, I was, I was really timid. I was really afraid. I, I really didn't feel comfortable starting up conversations with other people. And I'm sure that some of you guys understand this. I mean, some of you started to feel anxious from the moment I even said the word evangelism. <laughs> but you see, I knew my buddy would be there, and I didn't want to let him down, so... He was kind of some built-in accountability for me, so I went every single time, despite not really wanting to and ha wanting to find every reason I could not to. But, you know, and s then I would go, and starting the first conversation would always be the hardest part. You know, I'd still be timid. But eventually someone would agree to talk with us. And then we'd spend 20, 30 minutes, however long it was, just telling this person about Jesus. And you know what? After every conversation, no matter how it went, I felt amazing afterwards. I, I, I felt wonderful. Even if they didn't accept Jesus into their life, they usually didn't, but I felt overjoyed that I did my part in playing, in investing in something eternal and being faithful to what God had called me to do, to share his gospel, to go into all the world with his word. But it required a choice to be made. As you heard, as I've been describing, my heart wasn't in it at first. My heart wanted to run away, but I chose to go anyway. I, I chose to do what I know is best rather than what I feel like doing. And that's a problem for a lot of us. We go with where our feelings tell us to go rather than us choosing what is best beforehand based on what God has revealed to us. But you know what? The fu a funny thing always happened. Afterwards... After I would start those evangelistic conversations, after that first conversation, I was hooked. 
every single week. I was like, I, 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 my heart was just overflowing. I couldn't wait to start up the conversation with the next group. You see, the fear of man was gone after that first conversation. I've already had that experience. And I was hooked now because my heart was in it. I was just so excited to be invested in these eternal things. I, was, I couldn't wait to continue. So church, let's decide to place our actions towards heavenly things. And, sh- and soon enough, our hearts will follow. And we'll be encouraged to do more of that. So how do I lay up treasures in heaven? What are they anyway? Well, our greatest treasure in all of eternity is our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is our exceedingly great reward, as God revealed to Abraham in Genesis 15. Worshiping Jesus and enjoying him is the best investment we can make on both sides of eternity. Just think about it. We are getting to know and worshiping and glorifying the God who we're going to spend all of eternity with. And on this side of eternity, we get to enjoy his love, his peace, his joy in all circumstances. We get that privilege now from experiencing a relationship that will last forever. And as we serve him, we are participating in something far greater than ourselves, something that's going to go far beyond this vapor of a lifetime that we have as we are joining in his plan for the furtherance of his glory rather than just merely our own, as faint and fleeting as that is. The other treasure that lasts forever and... I find this to be quite interesting because it's something that we interact with every day, perhaps without even thinking about it in these terms. But the other treasure that lasts forever is people and the spiritual investments we make in them. Because remember, the Bible teaches us that you all have a soul that will last forever. And to put it more accurately, actually you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. We would do well to start thinking about our spiritual life in these terms. Because when our time comes and we go to be with Jesus someday, we're going to leave behind all these things that we have. And we're going to take with us all these things that we are. And those things that so many people spend their whole life working towards are going to be left behind. And the investments we make in spiritual things, we will take with us forever that will truly, truly last. So when we make investments in people's spiritual lives, it has that eternal impact. What what we learn and experience and worship uh, in church and in Bible study, that's coming with us on that day. What the children are learning and the youth are learning in Sunday school, they're going to take that with them on that day. And when when we give to the church, when we support those who are laboring for these eternal things, Uh, that's going to last as well. Sometimes that takes place at a local church level. Sometimes that's at a larger missionary level. When we give to others, we're partnering with those who are taking this word and this gospel to the ends of the earth. So we're partnering with them when we give. However, like any other investment, when you set aside something for the reward to come later, you don't experience the gratification now. And in other words, there are times where even I up here get tempted to slow down in my investments that I'm giving towards the future. 
There's temptations to not take on so many responsibilities, not to teach as much, uh, to step down from certain ministries that I'm leading at my home church, just to put it all out there, not to invest in others as much as I do. And frankly, my life would be a little slower if I did. It would be easier if I were to make those choices. But as I reflect on these principles we're talking about this morning, as I reflect on these scriptures that are so clearly outlined for us, there's no way I could ever do that. I, I just don't have it in me. At the end of my life, I just don't want to be like that servant in the parable of the talents. You, many of you know of which I'm speaking of. The, uh, the parable where the master was going away on a journey that Jesus told us. And he gave to his three servants uh, different talents for them to, to be faithful with and hold on to until his return. And one of them just buried it in the dirt and left it there until his return. And upon his return, he just dug it back up and handed it back to him and said, here you go. The dirt's still on it. You know, many, many people in this world are going to end up doing that with their lives. We're going to go home. Jesus has given us this life, this one life to live. And many people are just going to offer it right up back to him and say, here's my life. I didn't really do anything with it, but here it is. I'm terrified of that happening someday because I don't want that to happen to me. I, I, I want to experience the same joy that the faithful servant experienced in that, in that parable who Jesus said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to look forward to that day with an excitement and anticipation to see Jesus's face after a life of serving him. Not because I had to do it that way. Not because I was earning my way into heaven by doing it that way but just for the joy of glorifying him with this life that he's given me. And after all that he has done for me in this lifetime. And perhaps some people here are uncomfortable with these topics, getting uncomfortable as you're hearing this message. Maybe as we're discussing ideas like meaning in life, living for a purpose, and the reality of eternity, maybe you're realizing, you know what, I'm not as prepared for eternity as I thought I was. I haven't thought about these things. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you that Jesus is the one who is able to restore the years that the locust has eaten, as the prophet Joel said. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians that, he, that uh, all who are within, he who is in Christ is a new creation. It's never too late to begin investing in the eternal. No one here is getting into heaven because of how well we lived our lives. In fact, how we lived our lives is the reason we need a savior in the first place, amen? But uh, Jesus, but that's this, the fact that Jesus is, a sa is our savior. Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross to take the punishment for our sin that we deserved so that all who believe in him will stand forgiven. I think of Isaiah 53 where it says that he was bruised for our transgressions, crushed for our inequities. The punishment for our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He did all of that so, out of love for us so that we could be forgiven, to bridge that gap between us and God that those sins that we've committed have caused. And we can experience his love and forgiveness. If there's anyone here who hasn't taken that first step with Jesus, I'd love to speak with you after service. I'll be up here in the front afterwards. But on the other hand, maybe, maybe you're a Christian. 
and you haven't been living for the priorities you want to be living by. You have heavenly desires, but your actions have been more geared towards worldly things, perhaps inadvertently. And maybe it wasn't always this way for you. Uh, maybe you could look back at a time in your life where you were passionate about Jesus, coming to church multiple times a week, going to Bible studies outside of church because you couldn't get enough of him. You couldn't experience enough of his glory and his worship. Telling everybody you know about Jesus. But now you find yourself looking back on those times of when you are most passionate for Christ. And I just want to encourage you guys with the same words Jesus left to the church in Ephesus that also left their first love. Revelation 2.5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Now that's a sermon outline unto itself right there. Remember, repent, and do. Remember who it is that we love and serve and why he is worthy of our worship and praise. Repent. Repent for living for things that ultimately don't satisfy. Not even necessarily living just because we've been living for our treasures on earth, but not for investing the way we desire to, the plans and priorities we wanted to in, in uh, investing in the kingdom of heaven. And do. Start living for a, with a passion for our first love again. Doing the works we used to do in Jesus' name, or perhaps starting for the first time, starting today. You know, a life lived for eternal things is not an easy life. It was brought to my attention recently. Jesus said, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't say it is no burden. There is a burden, but it's light compared to the weight of the world being on top of us, having to figure this all out ourselves in a world without God, under the sun, if you will. But let me tell you, a life lived for eternal things is immeasurably rewarding and absolutely satisfying. One of my responsibilities at my home church is I oversee our uh, children's ministry there. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a growing ministry, but uh, one of the things I love about it is that we give the, these kids an opportunity to fall in love with Jesus starting at an early age. And... You know, I like to discuss it with the leaders. I tell them our goal is to give these kids a boring testimony. That, you know, I was raised in the church. I heard about God all my life. I came to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior at an early age. I've been walking with him ever since, and it's been awesome. That is our prayer for every child that goes through our church. And every single week when I'm done serving there, I just feel so satisfied and knowing that I have been laboring towards something that matters, towards something that lasts. Because again, all those things that these kids are learning are going to stay with them as they go, as eternal beings as they are. So in short, our work there is never vain, vanity, or meaningless, these things that Solomon has been describing to us. But whatever it is that you do for the Lord, whatever God has called you to do, if we're serving him, if we're serving others, if we're worshiping him, that's never in vain. That's never meaningless if it has eternal impact. So church, let's go serve the Lord from a pure heart. The time to do so is now. You don't have to wait until we feel like it. We could choose to do it now. 
uh, your heart will follow as we start to lay our treasures there. So let's teach in the Sunday school. Let's participate in men's and women's groups. Let's share the gospel with our friends and our coworkers. Uh, let's give of our time. Let's give financially. Let's give and serve the Lord whom we love. Because when we labor or give to the Lord, we are not laboring under the sun meaninglessly. But we are worshiping the God who makes all things beautiful in his time, as Solomon himself would later write. See, we're not merely surviving in this meaningless world under the sun, but we are thriving as we join in his story that never ends and is far more glorious than anything else under the sun. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for these amazing truths. Father, we thank you for the truth that this life is not all that there is, but we have eternity to look forward to in enjoying you. Father, help us to make the best out of this vapor of a lifetime that we have, not in a futile sense as those with, who are living in this world without you, but in an exciting chance, knowing that we have an opportunity in this short period of time to really make an impact for you, to increase your glory on this earth as your gospel goes forth, as more people will worship you, tell of your greatness and goodness. And Father, I pray we will be just encouraged by these reminders to live our lives for you, not for things that don't satisfy, but for you who ultimately satisfies our souls. And Father, I pray for anyone who might have been troubled by this morning's text this morning. And God, I pray that you would even use that for your glory, that no one would leave here without an assurance of where they're going when we enter eternity. And for even, even those of us who know that we are Christians, that we would also have assurance of our purpose, of that we are living for those eternal things now. So, Father, go before us this week. Help us to live a life passionately for you, investing in things that matter, investing in the eternal things, and above everything else, enjoying you, God. Enjoying our greatest treasure, which is, is and always will be you, Jesus Christ. Help us to, even now as we close in worship, may this be an expression of our hearts. May we just glorify you with our lips, as the psalmist wrote. So go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.